0: Kia Koto and welcome to Alice's Soapbox, where we're getting loud for women in sports. Today we are speaking rowing, so of course we have none other than the legendary Emma Twig. Emma and I have a conversation about almost, a conversation about winning gold, and about the legacy that she wants to leave off of the water. So, let us begin.
1: Nō where are you from? Where am I from? I am from the Real Bay, Hawke's Bay. Um, I'm a Napier girl and born and bred. Had spent my whole childhood there until I moved up to the Waikato to start the rowing journey when I was about 18 or 19. And so the next one is Ngā Waikwe. So who are you of? So my mum and dad, um, Peter and Kerry. um, Mum was born in Tasmania, so I joke that I'm lucky I don't have an extra toe. Um, And (laughs) Yeah, dad's also just a native boy, born and bred, and has been there his whole life. So, And I've got an older brother, Jamie, and he's still down there. So, yeah, the roots are very much down in the bay. And then the last one, the bit heavier, which is Ma Wai Kwe. For whom do you exist? Well, that's an easy one. Um, my beautiful wife, Shah and our, our boy, Tommy, who's 20 months old now. Um, that's who I exist for, and obviously my parents as well. And I think, you know, further from that, um, what, what, what I do what I do is is because there's a whole lot of people that believe in me and i'm and, um, yeah trying to make them proud yeah
0: so tell me about how you become a, a champion roller because it's a sport that most people pick
1: up in high school right is that most people 's pathway in pretty much it's a bit grueling especially at the school level you know the the schools take it pretty seriously. I was actually lucky I was from a club where um we raced for our club first, so school rowing wasn't necessarily a big thing. So I only trained like two or three times a week and it was more of a social outlet for me. So I feel lucky that I had a little bit of a different introduction.
0: The main thing I remember about the rowers at school, because every now and then people would try and recruit me, right? I think as a rugby player, they're like, oh, you got strong legs, like maybe come jump in a boat. But like 6am though, like and, and outside
1: on the cold and on the water, like, hmm... Nah, too soft, too soft. Yeah, it has, a, it's, it has its perks. You get some beautiful sunrises and, you know, no one else is up. So, okay,
0: start at school um, and then you might jump over in, in Māori, um Cup. That's the big one, eh? That when people are first climbing up that ladder, that's one where everyone seems to go and cause trouble.
1: Yeah, Mari Cup is um, the be-all and end-all for school kids rowing. And it's actually one of the biggest regattas in the southern hemisphere in terms of participation, which is quite amazing because you've got thousands of young kids all rowing and then a lot of them just finish after school. So there's a little bit of a scratchy head moment there is how you, you get that trend, transition and get them to flow into our path, pathways. But at school, it's just such a big deal, the Māori car.
0: Yeah, and, but you didn't it. You did stop, obviously. You were like, okay, yeah, clocked it. Pretty early from there, though, chucking into like some pretty intense situations.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of did. And I had some fairly high expectations of myself from a young age. Um, probably to the detriment of, of you know those experiences when I was younger because I just went there expecting to be successful and expecting to win, win medals. Um, and the reality was I was a kid. Uh, but from school, yeah, I had success early at Mardi Cup. I won the singles and and then very quickly progressed into the the pathway of junior under twenty three and found myself um, in an elite team. Actually, the only time I've ever raced internationally is in a women's eight and a women's single. So my first elite women's team was in a women's eight, um, and that year was awesome, but it kind of also highlighted to me that I was a little bit strange and probably liked being by myself and wanted to be in the single. So that's where I saw an opportunity for the Beijing Olympics. Sonia Waddell had retired um, the previous four years, and I just saw an opportunity to qualify a boat and to kind of fulfill a dream. And, and that's how it kind of ended up.
0: So you say qualify a boat there. Can you explain how that works for like us? We're, we're learning all about rowing today. <laughs> you, are, you are our guide. Explain
1: to me what that means. You're, we're not qualifying you, we're qualifying your boat. Yeah, so the qualification happens the year before the Games. And then the year of, the whole team gets picked again. So anyone can end up in those seats. You've got to fight for those places. So in the single, it's pretty clear cut. It's first across the line. The boat gets qualified, and then it's up to you to to keep that spot.
0: That's so rough, eh? Like, I just... (laughs) I don't know. Like I mean, obviously, that's individual sports. But, my gosh, like, just... You can do all the best that you can, and then I guess yeah someone else can just pip you to it that's painful i don't know how you i don't know how you do this i don't know yeah I mean do. I
1: guess it's similar in team sports though right like people lose their spots year on year, yeah. and the team qualifies it's just a little bit closer to to the to home when it's you know one only one or two people qualifying that boat to begin with
0: you You would be too familiar with like the line just either side a couple of times we're going and just missing out, like, how do you, how do you talk to yourself through that?
1: Yeah, on reflection, and in in Tokyo, after I'd won that gold, I thought to myself, would I have had this any other way, and in that moment, the answer was absolutely not, because that's, you know, that's shaped me, those experiences, I have, I guess, probably more empathy for those that don't necessarily, um, succeed, or or have a terrible experience at the games, and it just, it's probably created a more well-rounded Emma, but, um, if someone had asked me that question four years earlier, I would not have said the same thing. So, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing and, you know, everything, I'm a firm believer that, you know, everything happens for a reason, but man, try and tell 18-year-old Emma or 19-year-old Emma that it's, nah.
0: Yeah, I mean, the wisdom that we gain along the way is, is like, yeah, through the experiences, but there's no way when you're devastated when you're, well, yeah, and when you're 18 and you're just missing out on that finals race piss off.
1: I don't want to hear yeah. that. Nah. And and also, that that point in your life is so, everything is so uh, results driven and success is mm. measured off those those kind of successes and, man, as you get older, you just start to appreciate everything outside of that so much more. And, yeah, even now, I'm like, six months left in my career and it's absolutely not about whether I win a medal at the end of it. It's, I'm making the most of the six months because, soon I'm going to be sitting on the couch and no one's going to know my name so (laughs) (laughs) does it does it change like well mind you I will go back because
0: you retired before and then surprised I'm talking to you today but um does it change the way you're approaching this one I mean guess like firstly pressure's got to be off a bit right because you have done what like the ultimate is but then you wouldn't also put yourself through this if you were like I'm just doing a victory lap this is not about that right
1: no, nah, definitely not. And actually, I could have retired after Tokyo. Um, but again, why did I return to the sport? Because I loved what I did. And I knew that I had more to give. And I'm still trying to be better every single day. So that's kind of been the mantra around this Olympic cycle. And it has been really nice to just enjoy it without the pressure. But also knowing that if I perform at my best, and I do everything right between now and Paris, then I'm going to defend my title, which is... Um, yeah it's a really cool and and privileged position to be in
0: it's interesting eh? I've heard um even when it comes to individual sports there's often that idea that like it's one person but actually it's the sacrifices of all of those people to get in behind you that actually
1: allow you to do what you do because the life of an athlete is pretty selfish really isn't it oh 100% selfish and it's actually funny you're like reflecting on my career now and Thinking about what's next, um, and it's you know it's going to be such a reality check because you go from this life that revolves around you and trying to make you the best that you can be to to stepping out of that and finding your way, and that's kind of I guess where, what I'm staring down the barrel of. But um, I feel very lucky that I've been able to do this for twenty years and have had people on that you know that journey with me, and yeah, everyone that's contributed like I'll forever be indebted to them.
0: It's it's funny, eh? Obviously, working together is what you're doing a lot of. What a beautiful segue from me. It's what you're doing a lot at the moment um, as a board member on the Athletes Cooperative.
1: Yeah, How did that come about, my friend? Do you want to talk me through that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably something that's really true to my heart through lived experience. Um, I've been in a system now for 20 years, and I feel like I'm in a position in my career where I can still see some some – flaws uh, and I can see that things need to change and I think there's been a real shift in mentality of probably a younger generation of athlete who know how to use their voice and want to use their voice um, for better And, and so we've kind of just come together and have created what's now turned into a bit of a beast which is quite exciting. Just to give people context of what exactly we're talking about here. So the uh, Athlete
0: Cooperative uh, is a registered trade union. Um, They had approached High Performance uh, Sport New Zealand. Um, Initially, it was to have those conversations, right? They kind of stalled. We didn't get to a place. Um, And so then it ends up being a case of giving them notice of collective bargaining. I'm going to do my uh, union propaganda on people here right now. This is why unions are important because they have an established framework behind them. We have a lot of these initiatives that we see replicated across sport all the time around like athlete voice. And a lot of people want to spend a lot of time talking about how, oh no, we're engaging with athletes. We've got this. And for the most part, how they do this within sports is by establishing reference groups and the issue that, I have had with those as two is, is two parts. One being that it's a um, generally by invitation that the representatives get brought onto this reference group. So that means that there is a level of palatability, but also profile. Like the sport governing body will choose those to in, um, participate that they deem, you know, the right people. And they don't necessarily are the, the the representative group of those athletes. That's the first issue. The second issue is just that they will also very much control the terms of reference. We see this pop up as well when it comes to re- to reviews and that they'll determine what is and isn't up for discussion. And that narrow band also then kind of limits what the impact and potential of that athlete's voice um, could be. That, and that's, ultimately what the intention behind this group is right is to have that independence to actually have the conversation you want to have
1: yeah you've absolutely nailed it and um the real meaningful stuff the stuff that has huge impact on our environments day to day um it gets decided at at a much higher level and very rarely are athletes sitting around that table in the first instance to to give their input, so you're always getting a very secondary. Um, are you okay with this? It's not you're not co-creating anything, and I think that's uh, that's what we would like to achieve with the TAC. We would essentially like to sit down with high-performance sport and say, "Hey, like there's huge inv- investment in our system and taxpayer money, and clearly that's there for a reason, and it's there to inspire generations and to um, you know put out these performances." On a global global scene, and and you know we're essentially um, those people out there doing that. But how much of the time are we actually part of creating the solutions for us? Uh, and it's it's actually been talked a lot about the um, the remuneration and things like that. And for me, that's actually really secondary. It's mm. it's yeah. off the back of you know a young woman took her life. Um, mm. There's all sorts of things that go that go into to live situation, but. It's an example of of how sport impacts young people and and the the need for the right support and um yeah I think the TAC has some real legs to 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 make our environments better and to for I guess the system to understand that we should be created equal. But our question is: It's a seven point one million dollar budget that's been invested into wellbeing and. I believe that the athletes should be deciding what is well-being for them and how that money is is spent. Uh, and that's, I guess, that's an example of uh, where I think the system is failing somewhat in that there's investment, but we're being given the solutions rather than being at the table and, and understanding, A, how they're being made and also giving real meaningful input into, into those things. So how do we kind of... Um, just understand I guess where where all this funding goes and how it's spent and how better we can make an environment for an athlete to really thrive in. and hopefully that'll mean even better results so I'm hoping that you know by co-creating these environments um, we actually do some great things in terms of more athletes being able to, to perform their best on the world stage as well and be happy and healthy doing it which is for me the biggest motivation. I mean, that's the gold that everyone should be chasing.
0: Like, I don't want to have people standing on podiums or medals that are broken people. Like, that's – sports should never – like, sports are really just little games we played when we were kids that we continue to play as adults, and they're supposed to be entertainment, and entertainment is supposed to be fun. What is fun about a situation that is leaving to, like, extreme emotional distress? Like, that is – what the heck are we doing here and that like yeah let's have a thousand more reviews about how metal like medals keep being prioritized over athlete well-being and also very cute of high performance sports so they there was a the Employment relations authority came out last week to say that the athletes cooperative had the right to engage in collective bargaining whereas high performance sport had said no we don't hire them as employees so this isn't appropriate for us to do that which is real cute on their behalf because while they might not technically have their name on the top of a contract that's signed they are setting that environment like that attitude around middle's prior like being the number one priority that doesn't come in a vacuum that comes essentially from the way that high performance is still structured that it is that above all things get a certain number of x then you'll get y like mm-hmm it's like okay for for us non-athletes in the world it's like the joke or the meme that you see go around we're like corporates like we we want to improve mental well-being so we have pizza at the office and it's like maybe just pay me better you know I think like also like part of these discussions around like mental wellness, et cetera, like mental health, well-being, et cetera, are like actually some of these fundamental environment conditions are off. And I wouldn't have an issue with my well-being if actually I had the opportunity to stay near my emotional support system. The fact that there is a required centralization for yeah. your athletes and that that was essentially like what led to your first retirement, right? Like,
1: yeah, yeah, totally. That's attention and- point. That's it, and I guess for me also what's extended my career is the fact that I've been able to acquire like personal sponsors and people that have you know, believed in me and have invested. And I can 100% say that if I didn't have those people interested or around me, I wouldn't still be here. I wouldn't have won a gold medal for New Zealand because what, what we earn as an elite athlete or Olympic champion even, you know, as a 30-something-year-old, There's there's many things I could be doing um, to further my career and and help my family out. Um, And there's always the argument that, you know, you're representing your country and it's an honour and all those kind of things. And we 100% agree it is an absolute honour. But I don't think we should have to sacrifice life for that. And I think the more that we can um, get support around us so that we don't have to, the more we will be able to do what the government is doing by investing in us and inspiring a nation and getting people active and be even better role models in that sense. So, yeah. It's an interesting one, eh? Because
0: I think, obviously, all athletes have a lot more power than they realise in these spaces, but it's something that we often – like, when you are so focused on what it is, is that, like, what you're trying to achieve – it can be hard to like, I guess, the distraction that people would think of it as sometimes, like the, to, to be getting involved on what essentially is the cut and thrust of the politics of sport. Like it's it must be a, a risk, right? Like to be able to be putting yourself out to be having these live conversations while also in the middle of Olympic prep.
1: Yeah, and that's that's I guess why we've kind of leaned on Kirsty and Mahe as our, um, our figureheads, I guess, we, we don't really want to create noise in the last six months leading up to an Olympic Games, but we do want to progress things and, and um, you know, get around the table. And also we just, I, I mean, I know how taxing mentally it can be if you're constantly having these, you know, really in-depth conversations and the energy required to do that. So um, it's taken a long time to even get here to begin with. Like we, we started this conversation over a year ago, um, but it's exciting now that, that we're in a place where we can get on with it. And and I guess that's where we're also relying upon the people um, that are helping us put it all together and and they'll hopefully do the brunt work.
0: The other part of the legacy for me that I'm really excited about with this um, athletes' union is the fact that it's got gender equity from the jump. If you look at our other players' associations that have existed in New Zealand, you're looking at team team sports also, so this is also unique, um, but looking at team sports – Rugby, football, cricket, to an extent netball as well, all sports that only had one part of the sport professionalised when they were established, and then they've had to rapidly retrofit to be able to be in service of the other part of the game. And I'm going to be honest with you, they've done sometimes good, sometimes bad at that. I've heard horror stories. These associations have replicated the systemic sexism that has existed in the sports they are negotiating with, that they have the same hierarchy that will have men at the top and the women as an afterthought. And so that's been a part of, you know, really having to push within that organization who are support, supposed to be pushing for you in order to keep like women as on equal footing within those organizations. And that's why this group is exciting, right? Because we've got one where you have both men. And and women at the table. You have co-chairs. You have a man and a woman who are your co-chairs. You have that equity and what blueprint that example could actually give to these other associations to up their game.
1: Yep, yep. We um, and that's from the outset been a really important thing. You know, we've got equity on our board. Um, we've got the co-chairs, and in Olympic sports in general, I think. You know, I often get asked about gender equity in our sport, and. Personally, um, I feel lucky that we're we're in an environment where it has fairly well been even. It certainly is in terms of the the um, remuneration model and all of those kind of things, um, and that's great. You know, that's that is the point that we're starting from. But I think it's really important that we we keep those voices there from a from the woman's perspective, um, and it is an opportunity and an exciting one that we can. Create a blueprint because I'm hoping that internationally, you know, people from from Olympic sports may be looking at, at our case as um, as a blueprint. And so it's exciting that we we can create that, but it's also a huge um, responsibility. I think because we want to do it well uh, to begin with. So um, again, from an athlete's perspective, we've been educated along the way, um, and I feel like I've got so much more to learn. So. You know I need to reach out to to people from from within the industry and and others and and educate myself so that when we do create and sit down and and have these conversations we can we can speak from an educated lens but and also I guess not rely upon those people that are going in to bat for us although they they have been pretty instrumental in getting us to here
0: yeah and that of course like yes, not to discount that, but that this is new. And so you will take examples, and you'll be able to modify. But that this is, I think, this is something that's really exciting. Like Mm. the the idea, you don't often get an opportunity to build something from scratch, and that's got to be like, I mean, obviously outside of your own like legacy within the sport, that's going to be something that feels really special, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's a real opportunity, and like you say, not many people have that opportunity in their careers. It's kind of a sliding doors moment. Uh, in the sport and I, and I really hope it gets traction I think I you know I think we're in a good spot and I can see from the engagement of all of our athletes that every time we meet um, you know it's really hard to get athletes to come to meetings and do things that they don't want to do and so just seeing how how passionate our group is about it and and I, I genuinely hope that it, it will extend we're keeping an op- open mind about it, extending it out to other sports um, but the idea is that we create a system that is that is better for everybody and to me that like if i could look back in 15 20 years time and reflect on that that'd be pretty cool i i already do when i look at what row new zealand is now doing and allowing people to go and study and do all sorts of things in europe and i look back and i think well i sacrificed a lot for that but hopefully it's proved that it's a pathway and now all of a sudden you know all these athletes are doing that so if we could do a, a similar thing um in that TAC space then that's the stuff that I'm going to reflect on with pride for sure
0: There is a, um,
1: a wonderful woman
0: in the UK, her name is Jo Bostock and she talks about the importance of the provocative glue and that's essentially what these collaboratives, uh, these collaborations are, right, is being that provocative glue, sticking together and understanding that, yeah, we do all have a lot more individual power than we realise, but far out do we have even more <laughs> when we team up. Like, I just, yes, yes I, like, as far as news stories that have broken in the last wee while in the sports space, I am so fuzzy for this. I cannot wait to see where it goes. I am... Um, also reckon you are like perfectly positioned to be involved in this, right? Are there shades of things from your, uh, your masters that you're like, huh, I didn't realize now, but that was actually probably being quite useful for this, this situation I find myself in.
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, I guess the masters that I did was in football. And so there's like a far more global and kind of commercial perspective to, to that kind of stuff. But also my time working at the IOC, like that really opened my eyes. Um, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we can go down at a later date. But I just, yeah, I look at it and I just think, you know, it's probably um, one of the only sporting models left in the world where we, we hand over so much to this this almighty beast. Uh, and I think there is a, a shift in, in terms of um, athletes and, and, you know, what they're expecting. And I want to be part of that, that's for sure.
0: Is that the next Is that the step for you? Because I, I know you have a real estate license, but are you going to be using that or are you going to go into this uh, sports leadership? What are you thinking?
1: Uh, I to be honest, I have no idea. And it's one of these things, everyone asks you that question. And I spent, I've spent my entire career doing things like my real estate ticket or my master's or going and you know, trying all these different things. And as I get to the end of my career, I'm no clearer on what I want to do or where I want to be. <laughs> Um, and I feel like it's one of those things. Until you properly shut the door on sport, you just don't know what opportunities there are out there. Um, there's part of the me that is thinking, actually, do I want to stay involved in sport straight off the bat? Because it's um, it's a very insular and and um, selfish environment. I think like it's all it's all about you know peak performance. And there's part of me that wants to to do something that has you know real meaning elsewhere as well. But these are the things that I'm working through right now, and um, but I also know that it's going to be a really difficult time and a really difficult transition. I've I've kind of done it after Rio, but uh, yeah, I'm just I'm not um, sugarcoating what I think the next you know year or so is going to be for me. It's going to have ups and downs for sure.
0: It's figure yeah. I mean, it takes a few times to figure out. What it is your life is. And there's also, like, a weird thing that happens with sport of, like, an arrested development, right, And that you – when so many of your peers are going through that experience in their 20s of, like, socially but also, like, career-wise and trying on all these different things. I'm on, like, my – is this my fourth career? Might be. (laughs) But, like, you know, you're having to do – in the same way, like, coming out, right, where you have the kind of second – second puberty and figuring out dating and all of that I don't know I don't know when you came out in your life but that's what it was for me and it's kind of like that coming out of sport too you're like coming out into like professionalism you're like who am I in this Mm. new world what do I actually want to dress like
1: yeah exactly the old wardrobe's gonna need a shake up that's for sure the old lululemon shorts (laughs) and Berks aren't gonna get me far but (laughs) <laughs> um yeah I think what I have learned in my in my career is you've got to chase things that make you happy and uh and have a passion and yeah it's just I definitely don't want to to exit sport and and sit at a desk and um nine to five it and and grind I want to be doing something that really spins my wheels but I know how hard that is to find as well especially when I've had such a this you know I've been in doing my passion for such a long time now so yeah to be continued <laughs>
0: <laughs> if there is a if there is a cause that you want to put all your um like that's close to your heart, what is it for you at the moment? Oh
1: well, the TAC definitely gets gets me passionate. Um but know I'm thinking is that is that a good thing? I don't know, because or is that coming from a place of like chip on the shoulder and um Right. You know, but but I think uh I think what I love about sport is the impact that you can have on people and happiness and joy, you know. And so what whatever it is in the in the next life, um, I'd hope that there would be an an element of that. Um, yeah. But equally I I always I often say to myself, I could, you know, head down to the bay and just work in the vineyards and chill with my family and all would be well as well.
0: I was gonna say, yeah, are you gonna go end up being a vendor? Because if you've um ended up like yeah, if you're bay born bred, that surely surely that should be the um the mission for you. Be out there stomping grapes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst life.
0: <laughs> what's your? Um, I'm just being rosy now. What's your?
1: What's your wine of choice? Oh, I'm not a huge wino to be honest. Um, I mean, athlete life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Athlete life. Oh, nothing beats a, a nice rosé in the summertime. That, that shows you the extent of my. <laughs> 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 I'm more a gin and tonic kind of gal, you know. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, okay, well, you just have to go and, I don't know. Grow juniper berries. That's what they use for yeah. gin, isn't it? I don't know. And then and set up a distillery. You and Shag can have one. It'll be beautiful. Um <laughs> live your little life. Um, okay. I have a I have a couple of questions that I ask everybody. So I'm gonna do that with you now. Um and one of the ones that I ask is around people's tuakana and their taina, so they're big and little sisters in the sport, right? And mm. so I guess the first one to ask you is about your tuakana Where like who is your big sister in the rowing world? Like who is the one that when you first came in? kind of took you under your wing and and and, you know gave you that belief that this was maybe for you
1: oh I've had I've had some great role models like when I was young the Everswindow twins the are Hawke's Bay girls and they I had like posters on my wall I rode with them every now and then they were my absolute heroes and that was you know through to, to Beijing but also alongside that I rode with um, two older women, uh, she's now Juliet Drysdale was Juliet Hay when, when she was younger and, um, Nikki Coles. And I remember Nikki, um, at the time was my age now and I was 19 and I remember looking at her and being like, gosh, she needs to retire, you know? <laughs> But she was an absolute legend, and she, she taught me so much, and just, yeah, like she, she was a legend at that point. And so I, I kind of think now, man, there must be 19, 20-year-olds in our sport looking at me doing exactly the same thing. But, oh, uh, well, we're still here. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that those in my sport, those were the, probably the most influential. Sonia Waddell, she, w- she retired before my time, but you know, she was the, the former single sculler. Um, so, yeah, we've, women's rowing, you know, the Everswind Twins, we have a lot to thank them and Rob for in terms of the system that we have now. Definitely. Like, yeah,
0: they're, they're someone that I'm sure they are someone. That's good. They are people. <laughs> this is a problem with twins. Char will know all about it. When people just turn you into one person, you're like, actually, we're two. But the um, like people will remember them whether or not they were avid followers of the sport right like they're a couple of icons that have that crossover appeal and you know that's also can i just say one of my favorite things about the olympics is it's probably the only part that i had a regular touch tone while i was growing up where i could see women performing mm. like on a world stage because i didn't get the opportunity to watch women's rugby like the black ferns until 2003 um yeah and so it's like but in that in between one of my really strong memories is the 1996 Olympic Games because it was the first time I was I guess cognizant enough like old enough to understand that Olympics were a thing became yeah. obsessed but also yeah getting to see women and also was it at the last Olympics where, like our women won most of the medals so yeah I love that
1: Yeah <laughs> it's true I think yeah I'm the same 96 was the first games I remember Danny Moda and um, you're right, like there, there hasn't been opportunities to watch team sports until recently, and so maybe that's probably, that's why I ended up in the Olympic sports because those were the, where the role models were. And then what about your attainer, your little sisters? Who's someone that's coming through that you're excited about? Well, my, my little sister probably is also my big sister because Lucy Spores, um, she's a couple of years younger than me, but she started when she was 18, and I felt like we – we've been best mates since we started and she, whilst whilst I've probably taken her under my wing she's also been a massive part of my career as well so Sporzy, she she's a little sister but also there's a group um of, so Phoebe is Lucy's younger sister um and there's a lot of women in our program now who've been over to the states and and done their American scholarships and come back um and they're the future of our sport and I think it's exciting when you know you've got those kind of people there our women's four um we've got a hopefully sending a women's quad to a last chance qualification uh regatta so yeah I've kind of my career has like transcended a number of different people who've been younger than me and retired and I'm still hanging around there but everyone in that bracket have for sure inspired me and still to this day do you know the kelsey bevins of this world she was in the women's eight in 2021 um and she's someone who's been there and just plugged away plugged away plugged away and just you know an an amazing athlete who ended up having some fantastic success so our sport is full of it
0: um okay you've told me beautiful young ones Beautiful legends within the game. The next thing I'm gonna ask you is because this is called Alice's soapbox, right? Play on my last name, fancy that. And I love a soapbox. As you well know, love yelling at my phone about a number of things. But if you were gonna climb up on a soapbox, what would you wanna make sure
1: people heard you about? I just think that if there was a message that you give to anyone in the world is just embrace people for who they are. And um, yeah, the difference difference is difference and that's what makes people amazing in their own rights um, and yeah, just let's just get on with it and, and be kind to everyone and be curious and get to know people. And hold that space for, a, what is it? The
0: authentic athlete. That's another one that we talk about a lot these days, making, letting people be their authentic selves because yeah, when you are, when you're not having to hide that part of yourself, then you can fully realize too the power that is within mm. them, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. Then that's beautiful. Okay, rapid fire to finish because you've been an absolute legend. And I appreciate you. These ones should hopefully be easy questions for you, but who knows? Um, The first one for
1: you is TikTok or Instagram? I don't even have TikTok, so the gram it is. (laughs) Beach or mountains? Oh, tough, tough, tough.
0: Mountains. Lovely. Uh, Would you rather wake up super rich or super fit? Super fit. Who uh, Who is your favourite, I guess, team or sport that you haven't
1: played? I'm going to say the White Ferns, even though I've dabbled. But yeah, my favourite team outside of the New Zealand rowing team.
0: What sporting event do you
1: most want to attend as a fan? Uh, I would say I've already attended. I went to the F1 last year, which was amazing. Um, so I'm going to say like Wimbledon. That'll be fun.
0: Yeah. Mm. Get the um, cream and strawberries. Yeah. Go on. Go and Watch them knock some balls around. Okay. And what uh, song are you going to add to our match day playlist?
1: Uh, This is me from um, The Greatest Showman. There we go. We're getting
0: the build and the feels. And then last question for you, Emma Twig. Absolute legend.
1: What is the least athletic thing you did this week? Well, (laughs) this is very bad parenting. But I was very tired yesterday. It's the end of the week. And I brought Tommy home from kindy and put Blippi on and lay next to him and went to sleep. And it was bliss. I mean, fair enough. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. And that is going to be your life post-Olympics. But in the meantime, we're all going to be cheering you on. We can't, can't wait to see you just out there doing your thing, my lovely friend. Thank you so much for your time.
1: No worries. Pleasure. Thanks, Alice.
0: A big thank you once again to Emma for joining us and being so generous with her time. I know we will all be wishing her the absolute best of luck in her gold medal defence at the Paris Olympics. If you want to share that love, jump over to our social media pages. We're women's sports and all the best places. I'll see you in the comment section.